0: Good morning, Good morning, good morning. Way to brave the weather and get here. It is so good to see you, and for the rest of you who are under your covers at home, watching online, we want to welcome you too. <laughs> now we're really excited that you're all here this morning. Uh, please, please be praying for our pastor Adam. He's been struggling with some back issues, so he's watching from, from home online too, but I know he'd appreciate your prayer so he could be back with us again again next Sunday. Did you guys have fun yesterday? People get out and play any? Shovel any? (laughs) We don't get snow like that very often. Uh, It was, was, as hard as it was, I think it was a lot of fun. Well, I want to start out this morning by telling just a, a fun little story. A young man was learning to be a paratrooper. And before his first jump, he was given three instructions. Here they were. Number one, jump when you're told. Number two, count to ten and pull the ripcord. Number three, in the unlikely event your parachute doesn't open, pull the emergency ripcord. And number four, when you get down, a truck will be there to take you back to the airport. Well, the young man memorized these instructions and he climbed aboard the airplane and the plane climbed to 10,000 feet and they began to jump. And when the young man was told it's your turn, jump, he jumped out of the plane and then he... Obeyed his instructions, he counted to 10, and he pulled the rip cord. Nothing happened. Nothing at all. His chute failed to open, so he pulled the emergency rip cord. Still, nothing happened. No parachute. Oh, great, said the young man. I suppose the truck won't be there when I get down either. <laughs> Thank you for laughing. Last week we started a series called And Rejoicing, and this morning we're going to be focusing on suffering and rejoicing. That's right, suffering and rejoicing. If you missed last week, I would encourage you to go online and listen to Adam's message. It, it was a really good message, and, and it will set up where we go this morning and where we go in the, in the following weeks to come. And it sure seems like suffering has been a, a topic that God keeps bringing to forefront in my, my life and in my family's life. Um, when I signed up to speak for this week, I just knew I had a week in the book of Philippians and when I finally got to the point where I recognized suffering and rejoicing, I went, oh no, no Lord, not suffering and rejoicing. Why suffering? But the truth of, of the matter is all of us uh, face suffering and challenges from one, or one level or another and many, many of you understand suffering many of you face horrible circumstances that are that are painful beyond belief others of you suffer through nagging injuries that that um are are bothersome and they wear you out and they tear you they tear you down Bob Richter right I I see you out there one of those people when I go and visit people in the hospital I, I I try really hard to um to, to be sympathetic of their, their circumstances, and, and I thought I did a pretty good job of it. That was until I had to face some, some tough issues in my own life, injuries, surgeries, bad medical reports, cancer, uh, and it was in some of those scary moments when, when I recognized um, how lonely it was to be in a time of suffering, how hard it was to be in a time of suffering, how entrapped you feel and how um, just how hard it is to, to feel stuck in a, in a time where, where things are not going like you had hoped and dreamed that they would. I'm, I'm curious, how many of you felt like 2018 was a tough year? I'm just curious. Let me see your hands. That's, that's a lot of us. And, and I'm curious then how many of you are just a little fearful of what 2019 will bring? Yeah, some of us. I think I think that's a normal response. And yet, what we're going to see this morning is Paul models something very, very different in the midst of a tough set of circumstances. I think God has got a message for us, so let's let's ask the Lord to, to guide us and lead us. God, I, I know that uh, this message is really powerful, and yet it's hard, and so I ask that you would help us to recognize your voice in the midst of of what we're going to read. And I thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's see what God is up to in the midst of of this message. This morning we'll be in Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 19. Uh, You can follow along in your Bible if you have that, or you can um, follow along on the YouVersion Bible app, or I will have uh, the verses up on the screen for you also. And before we break it down and work through some of the verses, I want to just read the whole section uh, in one setting. <clears throat> Excuse me. Together. So here we go starting in verse starting in verse 12. Paul says, "I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything that's happened to me here has helped to spread the good news. For everyone here, including the whole palace guard, knows that I am in chains. And because of Christ, Because of my imprisonment, most of the believers here have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. He goes on, it's true that some are preaching out of jealousy and rivalry, but others preach about Christ with pure motives. They preach because they love me, for they know I have been appointed to defend the good news. Those others do not have pure motives as they preach about Christ. They preach with selfish ambition not sincerely, intending to make my chains more painful to me. But that doesn't matter. Whether their motives are false or genuine, the message about Christ is being preached. In either way, I rejoice. I will continue to rejoice. For I know that as you pray for me, and as the spirit of Jesus Christ helps me, this will lead to my deliverance. Well, let's work our way through these verses and, and see what, what we can learn together. Starting in verse 12, Paul says, I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me here has helped to spread the good news. Well, let's, just, let's give some background to make sure we're all together. Uh, who are these dear brothers and sisters that Paul is referring to? Who are they? Well, we know from the context that they are the... Jesus followers the Christ followers back in the city of Philippi and Paul refers to them as dear and so they have this they have this relationship this uh this relationship that's that is unique it's um it's a relationship that's full of love and compassion and appreciation for each for each other and let's talk about Philippi just for a minute Adam got into a lot of this last week but I know that that maybe some of you weren't here Philippi is an interesting city It was named after Philip the Macedon, who was the father of Alexander the Great. He took over the city and named it after himself in 356 B.C. And then in B.C. 168, the Romans came in and and they eradicated the whole Macedonian dynasty. Years later, in 42 B.C., there were several major battles that were fought. excuse me in that area and the victors Octavian and Mark Antonin honored Philip by refounding it as a Roman military colony so it was it was an important Roman post a Roman military colony and by the time of this letter the primary titles for the emperor were lord and savior and if you know anything about church history Nero was the emperor at the time he was not very friendly Excuse me. He wasn't very friendly to the Christians, and that was the setting—the setting for this city of Philippi that Paul was writing to these brothers and sisters who were back there. By the time Paul came to this city in 49 A.D., Philippi was an urban political center of the eastern end of the plain. And you can read all about in Acts 16 what happened when he showed up there and how the church got started. And now some 12-ish years later, somewhere around 61-ish AD, Paul is writing back to them in that city of Philippi. And Paul mentions that, that everything that has happened to me here has helped to spread the good news. Well, what is, what is the everything that has happened to me here? And it's really simple. Paul, Paul is in prison, most likely in Rome. And he's chained to a Roman guard 24 hours a day, awaiting his trial after he's appealed to Caesar. There's more going on, but that's, that's the basic of it. And he says, and he mentions that everyone here in verse 13, including the whole palace guard, knows that I'm in chains for Christ. Well, who is that everyone here? Everyone here refers to the people in, in Rome, the Roman citizens. Anyone who was in Rome had an occasion to know that Paul's confinement was, was only because he was this bigwig propagator of this new sect called the way the Christians. And the only thing he'd done wrong is he had proclaimed that Jesus was Lord and Savior and this had led, led to him literally being in chains and imprisoned. And Paul also mentions this whole palace guard that's there. Who who were they? This is this is very very interesting. The whole palace guard is is the Praetorian Guard of the Romans. This guard would have been the emperor's own elite troops. They would have guarded Paul around the clock. One would be chained to Paul, and every four hours they would rotate in another guard who would relieve the last. They would have given Paul access to visitors. Uh, To writing of letters and to other routine matters and and Paul even would have written this letter while he would have been chained to a guard wouldn't that be interesting can you imagine being chained to Paul can you imagine the conversations can you imagine the prayer times can you imagine the letters that were written can you imagine uh, when he had to go to the bathroom I mean (laughs) all sorts of things but being chained an elite Roman emperor being chained to this guy Paul it must have been crazy. I can imagine uh, the smile on Paul's face as he wrote down these words that we've read. And he turns to, the, to this Roman elite uh, guard and says, what do you think? <laughs> can you imagine? I mean, it had to be, it had to be so interesting. So interesting. And a lot of times I think we, we miss these kind of, of little details when we read through these, these letters quickly. And one interesting note in the midst of this, if you turn to Paul's concluding remarks in this book, in the book, or this letter, the letter of Philippians, in chapter 4, verse 21, he, he says this, and as he's closing, he says, give my greetings to each of God's holy people, all who belong to Christ in Jesus, to Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me send you their greetings, and all the rest of God's people send you their greetings too, and then he closes with this, especially those in Caesar's household especially those in Caesar's household can you imagine the Philippians when they get this letter and they read it are you kidding me are you kidding me you're chained to the to these elite guards and now people in Caesar's household have come to know Jesus and they're sending greetings to us also it must have been something to be part of it was incredible and it was miraculous Well, in case you don't know, Paul also refers to this good news. Uh, And and in case you don't know, I I just want to break it down and explain what that meant to Paul. I think the easiest way to do that is is to take us to another letter that Paul wrote to another city, the people in Corinth. In chapter 15, 1 Corinthians 15, um, Paul writes this as he explains what he means by the gospel. He says, Let me remind you, dear brothers and sisters of the good news. There it is. So he's about ready to lay it out. The good news I preached to you before, you welcomed it then and you stand firm in it. I passed on to you what was most important, what has also been passed on to me. Here it is. Christ died for our sins just as the scriptures said. He was buried, he was raised from the dead on the 3rd day just as the scriptures said. He was seen by Peter and then by the twelve, after that he was seen more, by more than five hundred of his followers at one time. Most of whom are still alive, though some have died. And then he was seen by James. James would be the, the half-brother of Jesus. And later by all the apostles. And last of all, as though I have been <clears throat> born at the wrong time, I also saw him. For I am the least of all the apostles. In fact, I am not even worthy to be called an apostle after the way they persecuted God's church. So Paul makes it very clear what this good news is. He's been telling everybody about it. He's so excited. Everywhere he goes, that's his message. That's his passion. That's his desire is to spread this this good news, uh, this gospel of Jesus. That Jesus had died. That He is risen from the dead. And it had all been proclaimed in scriptures. And that He had shown Himself to lots and lots of people who saw him alive and that he had actually shown himself to Paul also. And you could follow through all of Paul's writings and you could find him referring to this over and over and over again. Let me give you several, several examples. In Acts chapter 20, Paul says this. He says, My life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus. The work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. Paul actually believed that Jesus had assigned him to to spread this good news. Romans 1.1, Paul says, This letter is from Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus, chosen by God to be an apostle and sent out to preach his good news. Romans chapter 15, Paul says, My ambition has always been to preach the good news where the name of Christ has never been heard. Paul is all about the good news. And you'll see this reference to good news coming up over and over again in this, in this letter to the, to the Philippians. Now before we move on, I think it's just important to, to think about an obvious, an obvious piece that, that we might miss. Why would Paul be so passionate about this good news? Why would he be willing to risk his life? Why would he be willing to, to, to be um, so forceful in making sure that the world saw the good news of Jesus? Well, the story of Paul is a fascinating one. Um, Paul was a Jewish Pharisee, a leader of the, of the Jewish people. He was, he was a Christian persecutor, a Christian killer. He abhorred, he really abhorred Jesus' followers. They, they were a threat to Judaism as he knew it. And so he was trying to eradicate this, this sect. And then Jesus appears to Paul. He appears to Paul and he asks Paul, why are you persecuting me? You can read about that, you can read all about it in Acts chapter 9, it's all laid out there, and, and it's and it said that when you see Jesus, your life will never be the same, and, and Paul's life was never the same after that happened, after Jesus appeared to him. Now, no way do I in any way compare myself to Paul, but, but I have a, a situation that's happened in my life that's given me a passion to tell others about the good news of Jesus also. I just wanted to share this with you. When I was in, in ninth grade, I was in a really bad place personally. One day after making some poor decisions, I lost track of time. I and was, I was late getting home. It was before I drove. I did not have my driver's license. And so a friend, his name was Darren, loaned me his bicycle to get home. Several days later, Darren was on his way walking to my house to pick up his bicycle, uh, the bicycle that I had borrowed, and Darren just disappeared, gone. As night drew on, as you can imagine, his parents were frantic, uh, calling everybody they could imagine or think of to find out where where is Darren. Uh, They called me twice that night, once early and then once very, very late, but I hadn't seen Darren. He never showed up. He never, uh, he never came over. And we, ne- we didn't know what, it, what had happened to him. Well, that next morning, after the sun had come up, Darren's mom, who had ser- searched for him frantically all night long, uh, found her son's dead body hidden under a bush beside the road. Darren had been killed by a drunk driver who, who hid him, and then hid him, and then Fled the scene. And several days later, while looking at my friend Darren, who was now deceased, laying in a casket, my life was about to change forever. I knew that my poor decisions, in part, had led to the circumstances of my friend's death. But when you're a boy who's in ninth grade, those kind of feelings and emotions are hard to articulate. You try to, to pretend they're not there. And that's, that's when God rescued me. Through a series of circumstances that we don't have time to get into, one of Darren's friends took me under his wings and began to tell me about the love and forgiveness of Jesus Christ. Imagine that, a 14-year-old with that kind of wisdom and boldness. 14 years old. His name was Jeff, and with, within a few months, Jeff and I were on our knees, praying, and I surrendered my life to Jesus. I made Jesus my Lord and my Savior. I met Jesus, not unlike Paul also met Jesus. And I was so thankful for the saving grace that Jesus offered that I instantly had this passion to help my friends, my young friends, to understand what we had missed all along. I had this desire, this deep desire to help them to see who Jesus really was. And my passion, my passion was a direct result of this horrible, terrible scenario of events that happened that God took and he turned into something that he was going to use. And my life has never been the same. Sharing the good news of Jesus should be our greatest ambition and our passion. Even if we're introverted in our personalities, which, which I am, we should be people who love other people. People who don't know Jesus have a short future. They have a horrific eternity in front of them. And often they have a broken heart. And that should break our hearts also as we rub shoulders with them. We should be motivated to use anything in our lives that we can to help people know who Jesus is. It should be our greatest mission and it certainly was for Paul. Let's continue in the text, we're at verse 14. Paul says, and because of my imprisonment, most of the believers here have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. Because of my imprisonment, most of the believers here, here in Rome, have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. Paul goes on to talk about these amazing results of his imprisonment. Because of his chains, most of the believers in Rome are actually more confident and bold to speak God's message. And that without fear. It may seem unnatural, but but it really isn't. Time and time again, history has proved that this is is true. In the early church, when the the church began to be persecuted and and it drove the people out into the outlying areas around Jerusalem, uh, people began to come to follow Jesus exponentially. And the farther that persecution drove them out, the more people that came to know Jesus. I'm told that in countries where Christianity is illegal, the growth of the underground church is also exponential. And here again in this text, we see that happening. Most of the believers were more, more bold to talk about the good news of Jesus because Paul is imprisoned. And they do so without fear and with more confidence. Let's continue in verse, in verse 15. It's true that some are preaching out of jealousy and rivalry, but others preach about Christ with pure motives. They preach because they love me, for they know I have been appointed to defend the good news. Those others who do not have pure motives, as they preach about Christ, they preach with selfish ambition, not sincerely, intending to make my chains more painful, painful. To me, so we begin now to see some of the things that are going on. More of the specifics there in Rome, we learn that the miracle of evangelism has had some challenges. Even though the Christians in Rome are pro- proclaiming the good news of Jesus boldly, fearlessly, and confidently, there is some antagonism going on between these Roman Christians and Paul. There were many preaching Christ out of pure motives. Uh, because they loved Paul. They knew that Paul had been appointed by Jesus Christ to take this good news uh, to the world. And they see that Paul can no longer be involved in preaching Christ publicly. So they have stepped in to pick up the slack. They are doing the evangelizing now. However, we're told that there are some Roman Christians who are preaching the good news out of jealousy and rivalry towards Paul. Paul says these Roman Christians didn't have pure motives in sharing the good news, which seems so crazy to me that you would be so upset with Paul that you, you would preach the good news of Jesus just to make it harder on him, but evidently that was what was happening. So let me try to give a little bit of background because it seems kind of ridiculous, but there are some things going on that I think help us to understand that. Paul was the founder of, of many churches in these cities across that area that time. Of course, Philippi, the one, this, this letter that we're reading, Paul was the founder of that church. We've referenced that before. But in Rome, things were very different. Paul was not the founder of the church in Rome. He, uh, he was more of an outsider who eventually made it to Rome, but he made it to Rome as a prisoner. And even though he had written a letter to them, the book of Romans as we know it, Um, There there was some things going on between him and these Jewish believers. The Roman church was mostly made up of Jewish followers of Jesus Christ. Um, But there were some Gentiles there. But but the the extent, the majority of the people there were Jewish followers of Jesus. And so, um, as you know, much of Paul's ministry was aimed at helping Gentiles. Gentiles come to know Jesus, and part of that uh, began to stir up some different, some challenges between the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians. If you read the Book of Romans, you can find out a lot of what's going on here, and you can see how Paul wrestled through making sense of this and helping his his Jewish brothers to understand what was was happening. Um, But it gives you a sense that there's, there's this animosity happening between these Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians. And Paul had made it his passion to share Jesus with the Gentile Christians. And so as weird as it seems, there were some Christians in Rome who were preaching the good news of Jesus just to stir things up with Paul's chains. And Paul actually says it caused the pain of his chains to increase. Making his chains more painful. But here's what's amazing. In the midst of that happening, Paul's response is, is, is crazy. So look at what he says in verse 18. Here's his response to all this. He says, but that doesn't matter. Ah, that doesn't matter. Whether their motives are false or genuine, the message about Christ is being preached either way. So I rejoice and I will continue to rejoice. Gosh, isn't that what we do whenever we face things? I mean, Paul pulls, he pulls a strange one here. He's doing something that's, that's not normal. Did you catch what he's saying? It doesn't matter to him, even if there were some preaching Christ out of impure motives, it doesn't matter. Because either way, the message about Christ is being preached. He chose to rejoice in the bigger picture of the good news being told. Despite what the circumstances were around that. Just in Philippians, listen to how many times Paul brings up this whole idea of rejoicing. Chapter 1, verse 3, he says, Every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. In all my prayer for all of you, I always pray with joy. Chapter 1, verse 18. Whether their motives are false or genuine, the message about Christ is being preached either way. So I rejoice, and I will continue to rejoice. Chapter 2. But I will rejoice even if I lose my life. Pouring it out like a liquid offering to God. Just like your faithful service is an offering to God. And I want all of you to share that joy. Yes, you should rejoice. And I will share your joy. Chapter 3. Whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. Chapter 4. Always be full of joy in the Lord. And again I say, rejoice. It's really abnormal that he, in the midst of these circumstances, would act like this. Paul is a prisoner. He's chained to a Roman guard 24 hours a day, no bathroom breaks, writing connected to a guard, meeting with people connected to a guard, sleeping at night chained to a guard. Paul writes this letter to a group of Jesus followers back in this city of Philippi, saying he's full of joy and telling them to be full of joy. Rejoice! Either he's been beat too many times and he's losing his thinking ability, or there's something in the midst of this that we need to capture. Something that we can learn in the midst of these circumstances that help us to know how to navigate our own challenges. By this time, Paul has probably been in prison for two years already. And before that, he had to persevere through a two year process just to get to prison extensive trials and prisoner travel, getting to Rome after he, after he had appeared to, to appeal to Caesar, including this a shipwreck in very cold waters. He's now on trial for his faith, and now some Christians in Rome are doing selfish things that make his chains more painful, and yet he seems to focus on joy. Why? What's going on? Well, Paul started out this whole section, and he says, the fallout of his imprisonment has been to advance the good news. He says that and that alone is his cause for joy. Christ is preached and because of this, I rejoice. His joy isn't over his imprisonment as such. No, the pain is there both emotionally and I'm sure he had some scars from, from the chains on his, on his arms, his wrists, physically. But Paul is able to have a perspective that's bigger than the pain. For years, he's dreamed of being able to come to Rome to reach unbelievers. And and the opportunity has finally come, even though the circumstances aren't what he had envisioned. And yet, Christ is being proclaimed. Christ is being proclaimed in the city, proclaimed with the elite Roman emperor guards, Proclaimed by Christians with good motives and proclaimed by Christians with shady motives. And that's why Paul is rejoicing. And it's really an amazing story. And it has to make you ask, okay, okay God, help me to navigate through this. How how do I take this and navigate applying it to my life? And I want to go through three things that I wrestled with for the last two weeks as I've been working on this message and just see if it doesn't resonate with you. Here's here's the first thing that I wrestled with. How passionate am I really to help people know and follow Jesus? To share the good news with broken people. Does my heart break over the thought of people who I interact with Spending eternity in hell, separated from their Creator. That was a hard one. It's a hard one for me to to sit and, and talk to Jesus about. In Mark 8, here's what Jesus himself said He says, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross. And follow me. Here He continues. This is Jesus speaking. He says. If you try to hang on to your own life. You're going to lose it. But if you give up your life. For my sake. And for the sake. Of the good news. You will save it. Jesus laid it out. And made it clear. That the way to save our life. Is actually to recognize that through losing our life. By giving it away is when we gain it it's a spiritual principle that that is still true today so what about you what's your greatest passion i've heard it said that until you experience the power of the good news you will never have the passion of the good news young people teens adults is the good news of jesus Is it your passion? Does your heart break over those who don't know and follow Jesus? That was the first thing that I wrestled with. The second thing I wrestled with was, okay, so when circumstances seem to be painful, causing suffering, spinning out of control, uh, how do I respond? How do I interact with that? When painful circumstances come my way that bother me, they may be circumstances that are a result of a bad decision I made or, or they may be circumstances that are a result of bad decisions that people around me have made or they might just be a circumstance of life, things that are, we don't have control over. But how do I respond to that pain? Do I whine and complain? Do I look for a solution on how I can medicate it and hide through... I don't know, there's many things. Buying new products, binge-watching movies, vacations. Or there's a, a list of things we could think of that we use to medicate, to medicate painful circumstances. Do I ask God to take away the pain so I can be comfortable and happy? Or do I look deeper, trying to see what, Doors God may be opening where I can tell others about the good news of Jesus. Is God trying to get my attention? Is he opening the door through these hard circumstances to actually push me in an area to help someone who needs to know who Jesus is? So what about you? What do you do with the things that cause you pain? How do you handle it? Do you turn inward or do you... Look upward and ask God for wisdom. And finally, the third thing that I wrestled with was this. When brothers and sisters in Christ, my fellow believers in Jesus, do something that, that is painful, that hurts me, how do I react? When they do something that causes me pain, um, how do I respond? Am I able to be full of joy knowing that despite whatever is going on that's caused that hurt, that I have laid my life at the feet of Jesus and that what Paul said is true, that if God is for me, who can be against me? Do I rejoice and let God take care of that petty stuff? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Or do I get caught up in those things and lose the joy that God has given me? So what about you? Do church people's opinions rob you of the joy that God has given you? Have you lost your zeal to help people know and follow Jesus just because of others' opinions or things they have said or done to hurt you? I think these questions are are important and I think that's part of what what God is trying to help us to see in the midst of this little section out of the the letter of Philippians. Philippians. We have one more verse, verse 19. Here's what Paul says For I know that as you pray for me in the Spirit of Jesus Christ, helps me, this will lead to my deliverance. As you pray for me in the Spirit of Jesus Christ, helps me, this will lead to my deliverance. We were never meant to live our lives as Jesus followers alone. Who do you have that prays for you regularly? Do you have a group of people that you pray with, that you know are are with you, that you can be honest with and interact with and ask for prayer and help? Who do you pray for? Paul counted on that kind of commitment. His Philippian brothers and sisters were providing that and he was providing that for them. And if you don't have that kind of relationship with other Jesus followers, oh, run and find it. Run and find it. Run and find people that you can have that kind of a deep relationship with. That is what God longs for you. And know, secondly, that you're not alone, ever. You're never alone. Paul knew that the spirit of Jesus Christ was there with him, helping him. And you also, if you are a Jesus follower, a Christian, are the temple of God's spirit. God's spirit resides in you. And that in itself is a miracle worthy of joyful dancing. And because of Christ's spirit helping Paul, Paul knew that it eventually would lead to his deliverance. And we'll talk about this in weeks to come. But the promises are the same to you. I want to close by uh, by telling a story of something that happened 15 years ago that, that helped me to understand and see that God was in the midst of tough circumstances. 15 years ago at the previous church I worked at I had a chance to stand up and tell the large congregation my story during a sermon the story of my friend Darren's death as he was walking to my house to pick up his bicycle the story that that uh, I had told earlier how God used this tragedy to save me and how God had used that tragedy to give me a passion to help young people find the the love and, and the forgiveness of Jesus Christ it's the only time in my 13 years there, that I ever shared that story with them, with that congregation. And we had multiple services, and at the end of one of those services, a grown man and a woman came up afterwards to to talk to me, and and the man was pretty shaken up. And he, he started out and he said, do you know who I am? And I hate those moments. Have you ever been in those? Uh... And I just said, I, I, I'm sorry, I don't, I don't know who you are. And he informed me that he was Darren's younger brother, Jay. Hadn't seen him in 25 years. As a matter of fact, he was probably, I don't know, 10 the last time I saw him. He went on to tell me how he had ended up in church that morning, for he never went to church. The night before he had been at a grocery store and he had seen the woman standing next to him, a very beautiful lady, at the grocery store and he asked her out on a date at the grocery store. And her response was, I will go out on a date with you if you go to church with me in the morning. And that next morning was the one morning I stood and I told my story. The story of his older brother's death. Which, in, which had happened in another city 25 years ago. God had orchestrated the impossible. 25 years after his older brother's death, Jay heard that God was in the business of taking suffering and painful circumstances and using them to save and to help people. Only God is in the business of helping broken people and that's why we can rejoice God loves us, he loves you every circumstance that you go through is not something that he doesn't see there are things going on that he is part of orchestrating well, I'd like to close this morning in, in a different way I know that there are things going on in some of you's lives that are, that are just hard Suffering, circumstances, hard things, and I would like to pray for you. And so what I'd like to ask you to do, if, if you are in a situation right now, circumstances in your life that are just hard, suffering, painful, I'd like to ask you to stand, to be bold and just stand. And I'd like to close this morning by, by praying that God would help you. good to know that you're not alone a lot of us lord we come before you this morning many of us are broken god i don't know the circumstances but you do you do lord i ask that you would take the painful circumstances of our life and that god you would help us to recognize that you are with us that you are in our in our midst that God, you would just give us a glimpse of, of your goodness. And Lord, yeah, we, we do want the pain to go away, the that's causing this to go away, but Lord, you are bigger than that, and so we invite you into our pain, into our circumstances, and ask you, God, to bring your kingdom to come and your will to be done. That ultimately, Lord, it would, it would end up in our deliverance, we pray. Thank you, God, for this message that our brother Paul has led us through in these words. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for being bold and, and standing. Have a great weekend. May God bless you. Be careful out there. And we'll see you back next week.